0: but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen.
1: Good morning. My name is Nathaniel, and I have the privilege of serving on the team here at Bray Park, focusing with our young people. And I'm going to be opening up God's word for us this morning. But first, as we uh, open our minds and hearts to this word, I want to open by inviting you to cast your mind back a couple of months uh, to the beginning of this year's State of Origin series. I don't want you to remember the entire series, Um, definitely not Game 2, Maybe game three, but in particular, I want you to remember game one. Now, if uh, you're not really a fan of Origin and you didn't watch it, or maybe you've forgotten, or uh, you just don't care that much about Origin, uh, let me remind you of what took place. We're thinking back to uh, just after the the second half had started. It was um, no, it was the second quarter, the final quarter. There you go. The scores were tied. It was a very, very tense game. Getting, getting towards the end, it was, it was eight all, Queensland, New South Wales. New South Wales had the upper hand all game. And then, this happened.
0: And here's Whiten, fending shape. Oh, intercepted. Intercepted, and Gagai is away to score his tenth origin try. The speed of a gazelle!
1: What a run. I remember when that happened, Ben, our community pastor, he was up his seat. (laughs) That was a man called Dane Gagai. He was very well practiced for his job. He was prepared. He was alert. He knew that the end of the game was very, very close. He was sober-minded. He hadn't had a drink or anything before. He was focused on the task at hand. He knew what was at stake. Now, I'm not just bringing this up to prove that I'm a real Queenslander now and I can talk about origin, (laughs) but because as Christians, we're called in this passage to remember that the end is at hand, not the end of a footy game, the end of something far more important, the end of this, this physical world, the end of this life. We're called to live with the end in mind. As we heard in today's passage, the end of all things is near. If you're just joining us this week, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Against the Tide. We're working through the book of 1 Peter, and uh, 1 Peter was written to Christians who were facing increasing hostility from the world around them. They previously hadn't been challenged too much in their faith, but they were heading into a time of increasing persecution, where they would be severely challenged physically for their beliefs. And so this book is particularly helpful for us today, because we're in a similar sort of space. Uh, We're in a culture where 60 years ago, Christianity was widely accepted, it was the norm, but a dramatic shift is taking place, even has already taken place, where it is becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian openly in our world. Now, last week, we thought about the attitude that we should have as Christians when we're faced by uh, challenges and abuse from outside of us, from others. And this week, we're encouraged to look at the example that Jesus set as we face a different sort of challenge that we're posed, the challenge of temptation from within us The temptation to conform to what the world around us is doing. We've thought about standing firm in the face of aggressive pressure. Now we're thinking about standing firm in the face of enticing temptation. Now there are three key instructions in the passage that we just heard. We're called to look towards Jesus' example. We're called to leave behind the empty, self-indulgent temptation of the world around us. And instead, we're called to live for Jesus. We're called to look, we're called to leave, and we're called to live. So what are you looking forward to in life? What is it that you, you personally, are the most hopeful for? What sort of goals do you shape your actions around? When you go out into your week, what are you focused on? What are you trying to achieve? In Australia, there are a lot of people who are working the nine-to-five grind, living for the weekend, or living for uni break, or living for the next family holiday, living for retirement. In other words, living for things which aren't bad, they're not bad things in themselves, but which never satisfy us. Living for things which always leave us looking for something more. But when we come to know Jesus, we understand and we accept what he has done for us. And we start living for something completely different. We start living for him. These first two verses here, they encourage us to look towards Jesus' example. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. These verses remind us of the attitude that Jesus had as he suffered on earth to make us right with God. And the rest of this passage is built on that initial argument that those who have this attitude, no longer live for whatever they happen to want or desire at the time, but they live for what God wants and what God desires. Now, I've been making some very slow progress at the gym uh, over the last while, as you can tell, emphasis on the slow progress. But when I started, there was a principle about uh, gaining muscle mass that was made very clear to me. Diet is half the work. The pain of a workout is important, lifting those weights is important, but unless your diet matches, you aren't going to go anywhere, which is particularly hard with a crazy fast metabolism. There's no point lifting weights for hours and hours on end if you're just going to go and have a diet of greasy Macca's fries afterwards. Right? You're not going to get anywhere. And in the same way, I think there's a similar principle at play here. Why would we go through the challenge of suffering for Jesus if we're just going to keep on living in that same life of spiritual greasiness which he suffered to save us from. When we understand what Jesus has done for us, we don't want to keep on living in that sin which which separated us from him. Now, this doesn't mean uh, that we suddenly become perfect. This doesn't mean that the call to follow Jesus is one of immediate holiness If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you know that that's a process which involves struggling against sin in our hearts. But Peter doesn't call us to be suddenly perfect like Jesus. Doesn't call us to do that, to be worthy of what he has done. Jesus has paid the price for our sin and he offers us forgiveness freely and our response to what he has done is to take up the same attitude that he models for us. Living for God instead of just giving in to whatever pleasures and desires we have in the moment. So what are you living for? Where is your hope? I encourage you to look towards Jesus. If your answer there isn't, my hope is in the return of Jesus Christ. My hope is in what he has done for me. Look towards Jesus. Look at the price he has paid to wipe away all of your sin if only you'll trust in him. And if you're anything like I am, then whenever you look at Jesus, you probably realize that there are some things in your life, there are some things in your heart which you need to leave behind. Let me tell you the story of a wild duck He's a wild duck named Sven. Now, Sven, he he has a good life for a duck. He has a large flock. He spent his days foraging for food, soaring through the sky with his friends, enjoying his life. Now, every single summer as the weather warmed up, Sven and his flock, they would migrate north. And one summer, Sven was flying north with his flock when he saw a barnyard below with several tame ducks. Now although his fellow ducks warned him about the barnyard here, they warned him about the farmer and the, and the dangers of being a tame duck, he saw the corn down there and he decided to stop and just sample some of their food. It was delicious food, juicy corn, tasty bread, a fence which kept the predators away. It was great, he ate his fill and he ate some more and ate some more. and. While he was still there that day, another flock of wild ducks flew above and saw him. They called out, Sven, Sven, come, leave, come with us, fly north. So Sven half-heartedly got up and flapped his wings and found that he was too full, he had eaten so much he couldn't quite make it back over the fence again. So he thought, "Ah, oh, well, I'll just sleep here tonight, it's a cosy barn, it's protected from the outside world, I'll stay here. So he slept that night and... Woke up the next morning and ate again. And he was too satisfied the next day to do more than just flap his wings a little bit when now the other wild ducks came past again. And so it went until after a week or two, Sven was the fattest, the plumpest duck in the farmyard. And that meant that when the farmer came to get the Sunday roast, he was the slowest moving and the easiest to grab. <laughs> Sven found immediate pleasure in the corn. It seemed safe and it seemed enjoyable, but it was not meant for his good. It was not good for him. And our world is full of tantalising temptations that have the same attraction for us. In verses 3-6, to Peter warns that the time for living in the sinful, empty self-satisfaction of the world is over. We've been given something so much better to live for, and even though others might mock us because they don't understand, we know that there are eternal consequences to our actions. Just as Sven was called to leave that sweet corn and rejoin his flock, so we are called to leave the sweet, empty temptation and instead live for God. Now, verse 3 there, uh, you may have noticed, it starts with a list of things which characterise a life lived without God. And these are things which describe our culture around us pretty well. They're, they're quite confronting. It addresses primarily sexuality and drinking. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, yeah, cool, you're, you're 22 up there. What, what do you think you're doing telling us about what the world's got to say here? You know, maybe you hear these things and you've, you've enjoyed them for a long time and you're going, what is, has what is this guy got to say to me? Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and do a great job of looking like an upstanding Christian, but maybe there's an area in your mind and maybe your browser history or your bookshelf where something is seriously wrong. And you're, you're going, okay, maybe if you know, Adam or John was up here, I'd listen, but... Maybe there's a part of your life in which the temptation has crept into. Now, I'm not here to judge you, firstly. This is something which I need to hear just as much as anyone else. But I'm not here to share my opinions on topics which I think are important. I'm here to unpack and apply a section of what God's word has to say to all of us. Because his word is relevant and it is directed at every single one of our lives. So I'm not here to judge you if you feel that this is particularly applicable to you. I'm here because we all remember that there is a judge, Jesus Christ, who will bring judgment, but who also offers to take our judgment in our place if we will trust in him. So what exactly were those things again? Let's go through them. Uh, Verse 3. He talks about living in debauchery which can also be translated as sensuality, so unrestrained behaviour and attitudes towards sexuality. Lust, which are excessive desires, which twist the beauty of God's design into evil passions. Drunkenness, which is the excessive use of alcohol. Orgies and drinking parties, which are the kind of group gathering where this immorality and indulgence is just out of control, Uh, There's one dictionary which translates these as binge parties. And then lawless idolatry, which is a summary term for this entire culture where godly morality is thrown out of the window and human desire reigns supreme in our hearts. Now, this list majors on the abuse of alcohol and sexuality, and that's, that's definitely an apt description for our culture, right? Our world around us. If you want it, do it. Unless you're hurting someone else, it's right for you. Now, these continue to be as much issues in our day as they were in Peter's day. Lust is encouraged, it's confused with love. Pornography is an epidemic across all age groups, across both men and women. Alcohol abuse is a standard part of many Australian lives. Now, these things, alcohol and sex, are not bad things in themselves, but when they're abused, they're a corrupting force in our world. Why is this the case? Why is it that these things can damage and destroy so much? It's because we take beautiful gifts of God and then make them into our gods We twist and we distort them in order to try and satisfy our longings, but they never can. And so we keep making them more and more central, more and more important, until they are twisted out of control and become our masters. And our passage today, together with plenty of other scripture, calls us to give up excess. And it's not just an issue for the world outside. It's not just an issue for those non-Christian people It's an issue for many of us as well. Many of us still wrestle with these things. But God is calling us today to leave these behind us because we have been called to something so much better. We have been called to live with eternity in mind. Now, you might be thinking, I'm trying. I struggle with something or other in my heart and I'm trying and it's just not easy. You don't get how hard it is to not do that. And you'd be right. The Christian life is one where we continue to wrestle with those sinful desires in us and we're going to continue wrestling until the day that we die. But we are not alone in this struggle. When we're struggling, God doesn't send down judgment upon us. He sends down love and he has equipped us To be able to fight those things in his power. Jesus has set us free from the condemnation that comes with sin. So we no longer have to live under the power of sin. And God equips us. He equips us through his spirit. He equips us through his word. And he equips us with the people of God around us to support and encourage And we really need that help because not only do we struggle inside us, but we also struggle with pressure from outside of us. And that's what Peter tells us in verse 4. He says, They are surprised when you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Now, I'm sure that many of us are familiar with those two responses that often come from the world around us surprise and abuse. Why would you do that? You're stupid. For someone who doesn't have a mindset based on what Jesus has done, for someone who doesn't understand the good news of Jesus, who isn't focused on a eternity rather than just this life, the things that we do seem crazy. And so we hear things like, "Oh, just loosen up, live a little. Have another drink, mate. Can't you handle another one? You've barely had any. Why aren't you sleeping together yet? It's been months. You've got to do it to keep him. Without Jesus, without the true contentment and the true joy that comes from a right relationship with God, it makes perfect sense for the world around us to go chasing after those things. And if you're a Christian and you have been for some time, they probably sound familiar. If you were here last week, you'll recall that we talked about how to respond when we are attacked by others. In the previous passage, Peter spoke about how the love of Christ to us motivates us to respond to evil with blessing. We know what eternity holds, and so we can be patient with those who scoff because they don't understand. So we can turn away from the empty pleasures of the world and instead face those insults with an attitude of love. Now, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're wondering what right we've got to tell you how to live. Now, if you're not hurting anyone, why should I tell you to change your morals? But we're told in God's word that there are eternal implications. The reason for turning away from all of this is not so that we can please judgy Christians. No human can determine anyone else's eternal fate. But we will all face a judge. Jesus himself, the one whose example we're called to follow. Verse 6 reminds us that when Jesus returns again, he will judge both the living and the dead. And the time will come when our lives will be measured and I will be found lacking. Everyone is lacking on themselves except that those whose faith is in Jesus will pass through that judgment because he has already taken it for us. And because he has taken it for us, we now live in a way which reflects our desire to be like him. Because it's not about earning God's love. It's not about earning God's forgiveness that we do these things. It's about being set free by God to know and to love God. And the final verses of our passage encourage us in how we now live for God. Verses 7 to 11 remind us that the end is near and encourage us to have a clear mind focused on prayer. We're instructed to love each other, to care for each other, and to use our gifts to serve each other so that we can glorify God. Now, I had the great privilege of growing up in a Christian family, in a Christian household, surrounded by godly influences and investment right from when I was born, and that's an amazing privilege that I was able to have. But it's only as I've sort of grown up, left home, started really engaging with the world around me that I've started to understand how amazing and true and great the the various things that I grew up around were, that I'm starting to value those treasures that were placed in my heart. And I suspect I've got quite a fair bit more appreciating to do as well. Uh, And one example that sort of popped to mind when I was thinking about this uh, was from the cadet club that I attended as a boy. Now, cadets, it's sort of like a Christian boys' brigade, uh, and it's also run here at at Bray Park. Some of you have been to cadets. And the cadets have a song. The first verse of that song uh, at my cadet club we used to sing every single week. It goes like this. I won't sing it for you while I'll read it out says, living for Jesus in all that I do, that's how I travel life's road. He is my friend, and I know that it's true, Jesus will carry my load. He died on Calvary to rid me from sin. Jesus, my saviour, is living within. Living for Jesus in all that I do, that's how I travel life's road. Now, maybe those are new words for you, or maybe you remember them well. In either case, they're words that are worth singing because they remind us that when we look to what Jesus has done for us, we are motivated to respond with a changed life. So how do we do this? First, we're to, be remain, we're to remain alert, to remain sober-minded, to have our eyes on the ball, ready to grab it and run but we are to be ready to pray. We read, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now that might seem a bit anticlimactic. We might expect, be alert and sober minded so you can rush out and tell everyone about Jesus and start a church plan it'll be amazing. But maybe it it might seem anticlimactic because we don't quite realise what prayer is and how powerful it is. Prayer is is the way in which we directly speak to the creator of the universe. And he hears us, and he loves us, and he listens to us. Now, the Bible is packed full of passages which speak about the importance and the power of prayer. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians 5, for example, which says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Imagine a life lived in constant prayer to God. Every thought, a conversation with him. Now, that, I think that's an ideal that's worth striving toward. Next, we're called to love each other deeply. Now, we're not living this life of facing temptations and challenges on our own. We are, all of us here, we are a community. We're a body of Christ. And this countercultural guidance which Peter gives is to love one another. This is a pure and wholesome love. This isn't the love that we were talking about earlier, which is twisted, the lust, which is twisted out out of God's created order. No. This isn't even romantic love in general, it's not that. It is agape love. The brotherly love that we have for all those around us. We're called to show this love, and the next things are examples of how we can show this love. The example of showing hospitality to one another without grumbling is given. And now this is one of the things that I find particularly encouraging about being a part of Bray Park, that I've loved seeing and being a part of, and and uh, benefiting from in the the last few years is the amazing community-minded sense of hospitality that I see in our community. Whether it's people who open up their houses and provide meals, or the Sunday service teams who facilitate all the great community time that we have, or people serving through the week, or youth leaders who consistently go above and beyond to care for and to love the kids that we've been blessed with. This is a community that I love being a part of. So let's keep pushing forward in that. Let's continue looking towards Christ as we offer hospitality to other people. And in addition to hospitality, there are many, many other ways that we can serve each other. Our passage tells us that each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Then Peter gives us two broad examples of the ways that we can serve each other in a Jesus-focused way. The first is in our speech, in how we talk to other people. Now, if it's, when it says, if anyone speaks, it's not directed at preachers. It's not saying to me, speaking right now. But the word used here is for general speech, all language, everyone talking to each other as we chat to each other on the way out, as we encourage each other, as we talk to each other through the week. We're to use our words wisely, remembering that we have the opportunity to share the words of God with others. James chapter 4, you might be familiar with, it's a chapter which describes the power of speech. It can be like a spark which lights a terrible fire. Or it can be like the rudder which controls a mighty ship. Words are powerful. We should use them carefully. We should speak as if we're speaking the very words of God. And the second way is in our actions, in our service. And here we're encouraged that when we serve each other, when we use our gifts to bless the lives of others around us, We don't do that out of our own strength and out of our own power. Rather, we lean into God's strength as we do so. He is the one who sustains and equips us. He is the one who refreshes us and who recharges us so that we have the ability to go out and serve others. And why do we do this? What is the point of all this? Again the reason is stated at the end of the passage. Peter wants to make really, really clear to us what the motivation is for living for Jesus. It's not to pay back all the bad things we have done. We could never do that. What Jesus has done has offered us free and permanent forgiveness for all wrongdoing. No, we live in response and we live for Jesus in response to what he's done, so that we may give glory to him so that in all things God may be glorified, be praised through Jesus Christ. The purpose of our lives becomes God's will, not our will. So, the end is near. That end is not the end of a footy game. It's not the end of my sermon, which is pretty close. Um, It's the end of this life but it is the beginning of an eternal life. So which life are you living for? If you achieve everything you want to achieve, if you get all your goals, if you tick off all the ticks on that bucket list, then when you look back at your life, will you look back at a life which has had an eternal impact? Or will you look back on a life lived for immediate desires, which have no lasting effect? Jesus came to earth. He endured a life of suffering and resisted the greatest of temptations. He gave his life in our place, as we're going to remember very soon with the Lord's Supper, so that we could be freely offered forgiveness of sins and an eternity spent with him, a comfort in this life and an eternal life. Is that an offer that you've already taken up? If so, he is calling you into a life lived not for fleeting desire, but for eternity. And if that's one which you haven't taken up, then Jesus is calling out to you. He offers eternal life without measure, without cost. The only requirement there is faith in him. Have you given your life to Jesus? Because he offers a life which is fulfilling, which is hopeful and is purposeful in this body and in the next body. So as we go out from here, let's go out with that mindset that Jesus shows us. Let's put on that mindset of Jesus. Let's look to Jesus and model that attitude that he has. Let's leave behind the corrupted desires of the world around us that can be so tempting. And instead, let's live for Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's become before our God in prayer. Father God, we want to praise you. We want to thank you for what you have done. We want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the way that you are moving and have moved in our hearts, Lord. Lord, we know that the world around us can be so tempting, Lord. We can be drawn in, we can be sucked in by the desires, by the excitement of the world around. Lord, we pray that you will fill us with a a deep and real awareness of the fact that you don't condemn us, Lord. That you don't push us down, that you don't make us feel more guilty for what we have done, but you offer us forgiveness when we come to you, Lord. Father God, I pray with all of us here who are following you that you will give us a greater sense of your presence, Lord, that you will help us to live a life aligned with you. And Father God, I pray for all of us here who aren't following you, Lord, who are maybe thinking about it, who have not yet committed their lives to you. I pray that you will work powerfully in their lives, Lord, work powerfully in their hearts, that they will come to know and glorify you. We pray all these things in your most holy of names. Amen.